Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Amen. Thanks, Zach. If you can open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm Wade, by the way. There's enough said about that. A father is keeping my heart beating right now. Amen? A father ordained that you would be here this morning. A father wants you to hear what I'm going to read to you from his word. There might be no greater truth in the world than that a father governs it. I love that. I hope you do too. A little more maybe after we read this and hear it. So uh, as you turn there, Nehemiah is occurring, this book of the Bible is occurring after God's people, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah had been taken over and exiled by Assyria and then by Babylon. Uh, I can't do two things at once, so forgive me. I learned through marriage, that is something that most women can do, but I cannot multitask. Uh, So God's people had been sent into exile through Assyria and then through Babylon, and then according to Jeremiah's prophecy, the prophecy that God had put in the mouth and the heart and spirit of his prophet Jeremiah, they returned home. And as they returned home, Nehemiah, in a a second return or a return subsequent to Zerubbabel's and Ezra's, Nehemiah helps rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, and towards the end of the book, we hear what we're about to read. So I'm going to read most of chapter 8 and about half of chapter 9, and that's a lot of Bible. (laughs) I really like that I'm in a church where I can say I'm going to read a lot of Bible and somebody says, woo. Are you happy to be in that kind of a church? Yeah, I'm glad my kids are in that kind of a church. All right, let's read it together. And by the way, when I'm going to say Yahweh, when there's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, if you have questions about that afterwards, just ask me. I'm not, you don't have to say that when you read the Bible out loud at home or to your kids, but I'm going to do it today. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that Yahweh had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads, and they worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground, 
Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Maasiah, Kalaita, and Azariah, Jazabat, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people. Three fathers. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And don't be grieved. For the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet. This day is holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the father's houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law of Yahweh, the law that he had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills, bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it's written. So the people went out and they brought them and they made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts. And in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. Jump down to chapter 9 with me. Three weeks later. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting, and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book, from the book of the law of Yahweh their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped Yahweh their God. 
On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chinyani, and they cried with a loud voice to Yahweh their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand and bless Yahweh your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are Yahweh, you alone. You have made the heaven the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that's on it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite, and you have kept your promise for you are righteous. Jump to verse 26. We'll read from there to the end of the chapter. Nevertheless, they're still confessing. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies and therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hands of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and didn't obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he'll live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and they stiffened their neck and they would not obey. Many years you bore with them warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. And nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, Upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that's come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully. And we, 
have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And in its rich yield goes to the kings whom you've set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is God's word. Israel needed fathers. That's what Ezra was there. That's what Nehemiah was there. That's what the scribes and the Levites were there. That's what the heads of the fathers' households were there. And Christ the King needs fathers. Amen? I'm going to show you three things that these men as fathers to their community, fathers in the way that Paul was to Timothy, fathers in the way that I hope you are, men who have biological children to your sons, I'll show you three things that these fathers did that godly fathers do. First one, godly fathers lead in the word. Did you hear that? How many times these guys reference the law of God? Okay. This right here is what good fathers give. The contours of that world out there that your kids are in are perfectly described right here. The architect of your little girl's soul, his character is described right here. We go to specialists for our kids' ears and noses, and throats, and overbites, and ADHD, and everything else under the sun. And we make sure we sit there carefully, and we make sure we know exactly what the person in the lab coat who has the diploma on the wall and the expertise, we make sure we know exactly what he or she is saying because we really care about our kid, and we want to go home and do what they told us to do, right? Imagine if we went to the Bible, if we treated their advice the way we sometimes treat the Bible, I don't really know what Dr. Smith just said, but that's okay, because I wasn't really gonna do it anyway. We just come here once in a while and listen to him because we're supposed to, right? We, we listen to our pediatricians because we know they know stuff we don't know. God's word knows all kinds of things about your kids that you don't know yet. God gave the fathers of the world tongues and teeth and minds and heart to do Ezra sort of work, to teach and tell the ones they're responsible for about their creator, about the truest father and his truest son, to give to their children or to their grandchildren or to their neighbors or to their wives or to their coworkers or to their friends or to their fantasy football buddies, the teachings and the truth of Yahweh, the God who actually exists and who actually governs the world. Paul tells 
Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 2, that he is his true child in the faith. Timothy's not his biological child, but why can he refer to Timothy as his son? Because he led Timothy to greater dependence on and trust in the God of Jesus Christ. And when you do that to somebody, you are fathering them. And we all do that to our coworkers. Dads, your kids are going to associate your voice with something. Have you ever thought about this before? That deeper register that we have as men, for the rest of their lives, your kids are going to associate that sound with something. So what do you want it to be? Criticism? Yelling at the TV during college football games? Stupid dad jokes? Stupid dad jokes aren't bad, but I don't want that to be the thing that my kids viscerally think of the moment they hear my voice. I want my kids to associate my voice with Luke and John and Genesis and Proverbs and Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs and prayers. I want to be Ezra facing the square from morning till midday, reading God's word, blessing Yahweh the great God in their hearing. I want my kids to know more Bible from me than they know what I think about the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot or who should be president in 2024 or who the greatest quarterback of all time was or how ridiculous it is that the, repair, the road repair down the street from our house is taking like years. I want them to know God's word from me. They can know those other things too, that's fine, but don't let that be their first impression, their first memory of daddy. I want them to know God's word from me. The greatest gift my own father ever gave me was knowledge of the heart and character of his God. I knew from five years old on, I knew that the God of Jesus Christ was a merciful, loving, holy, wise God who loved to save heroin addicts, which he used to be. I knew that. And there was no greater gift he could have ever given me than that. You want to be that for your kids? They don't just read it, though. Look at verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. They don't just read it. They read from the book, from the law of God, what? Clearly and gave the sense. All the kids in our church, the ones downstairs, the ones in this room, the ones like mine running around down the tables, down in the great room downstairs right now, all the kids in this church are being taught clearly by something or by someone. Someone somewhere is telling them what will make them happy, what's worth living for, what's worth waking up for, where the fun life and the good life are. Someone somewhere is telling every kid in this room why he or she exists, what he or she was made for, Someone is magnetizing, every kid in this church, magnetizing their internal compass. It's just a question of whom. The world has its own wooden platforms that it raises up for its Ezra's, right? They're called YouTube and TikTok and Instagram. And the world has its own high priests that it has walk up those wooden platforms and read from the law of its gods. And it has people, Levites of its own kind, walking in and out among the people and giving them the sense and the meaning of the law. The world is serious about religious instruction. It's just a different religion they're instructing. Anybody feel that in June? Ezra did not merely have to father these people and teach them God's word because they had no law at all. 
Every human being, every human being everywhere at any time is always patterning his or her life off some standard. Everyone is always patterning their assumptions, their emotions, their thoughts after something. It's inescapable. Our kids, your kids right now, especially if they're under the age of 10, are looking for something intelligible, something clear, something that makes sense of the world that they live in, that informs their hearts on what is fair and what isn't, what's beautiful and what's ugly, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Your household needs an Ezra to read to them and to make clear to them the words of the God who actually made the world and who is the actual standard. Your nephews and nieces need it. Your coworkers need it. Your wife needs it. The world is a confusing place. Still to me, believe it or not. I don't have it all figured out. I mean, three days out of seven, I feel like I wake up and I'm like, I don't have any idea what is happening anymore. I don't know what 2024 is going to look like. I don't know what August is going to look like. And so I go to my Bible, not merely out of duty, but because I need a word from somebody who knows what on earth is happening. I don't know who's going to be president in 2024, but he does. And he can tell me how to live in light of the fact that it's a good guy or a bad guy. The world is a confusing place. Our hearts are prone to wander, and you know whose heart is more prone to wander than almost any other kind of human on earth? It's a child's. Children's hearts are prone to wander. They need the north star, the lodestar, the true north of God's holy word, and they need it from your vocal cords, Dad. And then also look at verse 8. They read clearly and they give the sense so that the people understood the reading. We are not merely looking for Christian parrots, Okay? My four-year-old and six-year-old and two-year-old, they can just sort of regurgitate because that's all they know. But man, when they're 10, when they're 12, when they're 18, when they're 20, when they're 25, I don't want them to merely like stand robotically and repeat the catechism answers that I taught them, right? Come up with better ones. I, I want them to love the God of the Bible, not merely be able to parrot what I told them about him. We want our children and our families to understand why they exist, what they're called to, how to be forgiven, what's on the other side of the grave. We want them to grasp this and feel at home with these truths, to love them and to live by them. We don't merely want our kids to grow up and know the Bible the way I know my state capitals or the multiplication table, right? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I don't want my kids to merely know the capital of New Mexico. I want them to know what the air smells like in Santa Fe. I want them to know this Bible the way right now you know the layout of your favorite grandparents' house. Or the smell of the favorite dish that your mom used to make you. Or the way your dad's hands felt on your shoulders. How do you know that? You smell it. You taste it. You want it. You crave it. That's how I want my kids to know the Bible. That's how you should want your kids to know the Bible. Now, to attempt that, you have to understand it and love it that way yourself. But thankfully, I was looking for coffee, but I don't have any. It's all right. Thankfully, uh, this is not as complicated as learning physics, because unlike learning physics, learning God is fun. <laughs> He's beautiful. I hated physics. 
know God, if you, want, if you want to do this, if you want to gift to your kids a love, a craving for Yahweh, for the God of Jesus Christ, know him and then love him, enjoy him, and then learn him the same way you do anything else that you enjoy. I watched the NBA Finals with two of my kids. I didn't know anything about the Denver Nuggets, but I like basketball. So I watched, I think, all, what did it go, five games? I think I watched all five games. I don't know anything about that. I only looked at Alex because Alex is like the only other NBA fan I know for sure in the room. But I didn't know anything about the Nuggets other than Nikola Jokic. I watched the, and I'm at the end of the finals. I'm like, I feel like I got a pretty good grasp on this team. Now, how did that happen? Did I sit there with some kind of like systematic breakdown of the Denver Nuggets? And I, no, I watched it and I had fun and I enjoyed it and I learned it. Well, learning Yahweh is not that different from learning the other things that you love and treasure. Love him, be happy about him, want to know him more, and open up your Bible and pray. All right. Second thing, second thing they teach us. Godly fathers lead in celebration. And that's verses 9 through 18 of chapter 8. The first thing they do in verses 9, 10, oh, dude. <laughs> uh. A blessing on your house. <laughs> I'll remember that for the rest of my life, Chris. That was one of the sweetest things. Uh, somebody marry him. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I got to put a lock on my mouth sometimes. All right, verses 9, 10, and 11. In verses 9, 10, and 11, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to Yahweh your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord. And there you go, end of verse 10. Don't be grieved for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So, Lord willing, our kids are going to hear the words of the law and they're going to be broken. They're going to hear the Ten Commandments and they're going to know they are absolutely under God's wrath. Even if they can't, they don't know the word wrath yet. But I mean, I have sat with my kids when they know they're sinners. And that sinners don't go to the good place by themselves, even if they don't have much more theological vocabulary than that. They know that I did bad things and God's not bad. In that moment, we do what these guys do, right? They did not break out some theological treatise. Okay, let me read to you from Calvin's Institutes here. I love Calvin's Institutes, okay? But this, this was the way a father talks. No, 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 no. Don't, don't grieve. Don't grieve. Come here, honey. Come here. The joy of Yahweh is our strength. In this land, we are people of Yahweh. We worship him. So go over there, get some of that, take it over there to her. We eat this. We're going to have fun today because Yahweh is our strength. This is how we talk to people we love when we love the God of the Bible, right? The law of Yahweh reveals our weakness, and then the joy of Yahweh is our strength. Yes, what you did is that bad, sweetheart. But God is that good. When the law breaks our kids, when guilt and shame cut them deeply, we as fathers do what Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites did here. We tell them the joy of Yahweh is our strength. A little bit of a sidebar here. Your kids, my kids, our kids, 
will not want our Christianity, moms, dads, everybody in this room who has any stake in any kid. And by the way, if you are a part of this church, you have a stake in some kids. Doesn't matter whether you have any kids yet or not, whether you ever have any kids, you have stake in children because you're in this church. Our kids, our kids, CTK's kids, will not want our Christianity if we don't enjoy it. They won't. God did not make us to want a bleak, crabby, sour-faced sort of faith because our God did not make us to stand in an eternal Bureau of Motor Vehicles line. (laughs) What does Revelation describe at the end of all things? A funeral? It's a party. It's a wedding banquet. And he's written into our hearts and into our desires a desire for happiness and contentment. And if our kids see us walk, we say with our mouth, Jesus is good, Jesus is God, you should follow him all your life. But we look sour and discontented all the time. They aren't gonna buy it. We were made to enjoy God forever. Let our kids see that. Let our kids feel that. All right, they don't just tell them why, verses 10 through 18, they tell them how, and this is beautiful. They tell them how, They say, drink this, eat this, send this, build this. So July 30th, okay, everybody in this room with a kid or who knows a kid, or I want you to tell some kid in the next, what is that, five weeks, six weeks? You tell them, hey, come here. I want you to shout Sunday morning, July 30th, okay? I want you to get real loud because it's going to be a happy day when somebody comes up out of the water. Here's what that means. And we're happy because we're Christians, right? And the kid will say, okay, yeah. And we don't do angry shout. We're not talking like, you got to tell them. I'm talking a happy shout. A yay. This is how I talk to my kids. This is how I've told them about communion. This is, kids need this. They need, they're going to hear this stuff from somebody. Or worse, maybe, they're going to just invent it on their own because nobody told them. So tell them. Tell them. Teach them how. Here's what we do. We, we eat this. We drink this. Um, Some of our new covenant instructions, I won't read them, but the things we should be teaching our kids as fathers. Hebrews 10.25, come to church on Sunday. We go to church, honey. Yeah, I don't feel good. That's okay. We got Tylenol. We go to church. (laughs) If they're throwing up, leave them home. I'm not saying like you can't ever. (laughs) Somebody's going to be like, your kids weren't here the other day. Yeah, if they're throwing up or if they got diarrhea, that's fine. But I'm talking in general, honey, we go to church. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. we eat the bread and we drink the cup and proclaim the Lord's death. Ephesians 5, 19 through 20, we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Teach them this. All right, last one, last one, third one. Godly fathers lead in confession, and this is all of chapter 9. This is all of chapter 9. Let me read verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 because I want to tell you something about how they start this confession. The Levites... And he names them, then he says, they stand up, and they said, stand up and bless Yahweh your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are Yahweh, you alone, you made the heavens, you made the host, you made the earth, you made the seas, you chose Abram, you kept covenant. Do you get the idea here? They lead in this confession, and they're not like, she made me angry again. How do they start this thing? They root it in the character and the promises of Yahweh. How many times have I started a confession that way? God, you made giraffes and cumulus clouds. 
and Polaris up there and Australia and a million other things. You made it all. And here I am on this earth with lungs that are expanding and contracting and eyes that can move around. And that's just because you love me. I'm sorry, God. How much better is that confession than the typical one? We confess as Christians. You can open up your Bible tonight. So we, we did a little bit of this earlier this week. There were some sins floating around the house. You can open up your Bible tonight at the dinner table or tomorrow night at the dinner table and use verses 6 and 7 to start a confession as a family. And by the way, this is another little sidebar here, okay? Don't make confession a bunch of district attorneys all trying to accuse each other. We're a team. We're covenanted people. Right? Ezra wasn't up there saying, and then that tribe, that one right there, over here, tribe of Levi, we were good. It, we're a covenanted people together. God put mommy and daddy together. God knit you in mommy's womb because he loves you and wants you in this household. We're a team. Everybody is a stakeholder in everybody else's holiness. We teach our families forgiveness and confession in our households because we're Christians is downstream of God's mercy. It's because God forgives through the blood of Jesus Christ that Johnny can tell Susie he stole her glitter and fed it to the dog. That's because God saves people through Jesus. So we're honest. That, stuff like that will happen. If you have not had stuff like that happen, don't sit there and judge me because it's coming. <laughs> we're a Christian family. We keep covenant because he kept covenant with us. Mommy and daddy are faithful to each other. Daddy doesn't look at other women like your, your, you know, your friend's dad's across the street, not because daddy is some superman, but because God's been faithful to daddy. So he's faithful to mommy. And mommy's faithful to daddy for the same reason. We're a Christian household. They also, I want you to see this. I'm not gonna read them all, but verses six through 37, in those 32 verses, he gets really specific and names the sins. He names them. To father people well requires calling their sins what God calls them. To father people well requires calling their sins what God calls them. And calling your own sins what God calls them. We live in an age where everything involving sin and conflict and pain is referred to in therapeutic language. Where we're merely victims and not violators of God's good law. That doesn't help anybody. And it's not what these Levites do who are good fathers to their community. They love God too much to soften what God doesn't soften. Since I love God as much as I do, I can't call my kicking a toy across the living room losing my cool. Since I love the God who decides what is sinful and what is not, I can't call his telling me he washed his hands when he didn't fibbing. Since I love Yahweh, I can't call her slander and gossip venting. I name the things what God names them, not something more flattering so as to wring out all of the moral fault in them and make it seem like my sins are just quirks, little personality traits. They're not. They're sins. These Levites, Ezra, Nehemiah, these fathers in the community, they love their people more than they love their people's feelings, and they love God more than they love their feelings, and they love God more than they love their own reputations. You are going to look like a fool a couple of times as a dad. I don't know why I said a couple. It's going to be a lot of times as a dad. You are going to look like a fool a lot of times as a dad. 
but you're not worried about how you look. That's not what drives you. And when it is what drives you, you repent of it. They're good, and love for him is what drives you. So you call it what he calls it. When we confess sin as fathers, and when we lead people in confession of sins as fathers, we view the sin and we speak of the sin the way he does. Daddy lied. I'm sorry. Honey, you had a fit of rage. We need to pray. Come here, sweetheart. That was stealing, wasn't it? We need to confess and ask forgiveness. Man, that is a good gift to give your kids, to let them see the world the way God, who actually decides what's good and what's bad, sees it. You're not helping them. I know it feels sometimes like you are, but you're not helping them in the long term if you treat their sin less than how God treats it. All right. Just a couple more things here. They list the, the sins by name, but they're also, notice, they're the sins of their people. They're the sins of Israel. They're not the sins of, like, the whole world. So one of the things these Levites and Ezra and Nehemiah are demonstrating is that the pattern of godly fathering involves knowing the specific sins of your people. Fatherhood is not about how faithful or how wise you are in the abstract. He didn't give you a theoretical wife or theoretical children. He gave you this wife and these children. She has a stubborn mom who's hard-hearted. You've got your own family of origin problems with all kinds of grudges and bitterness. Maybe you got a daughter whose emotions have her by the throat and won't let go. Or you got a son who's selfish and violent. This is your calling, these people. You don't have to be an expert in every single problem out there in the world. But you do have to be fluent in the sins of your people. Your last name is over that household. At the end of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 13, Nehemiah is going to confront the Jews who have married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and he's going to tell them, your kids can't speak the language of Judah. Now, how did he know that? How did he know what kind of wives they had and what, whether their kids could speak the language of Judah? He knew it because he's in his people's lives. He's fathering them. I'm going to step on some toes here for a minute of my, my own kind, okay? You don't love your people if you can't tell them the sins that you struggle with. Those of us who have good instincts about the world, right? I meant what I meant about June. But every good thing comes with a pitfall. And the pitfall for those of us who see the world correctly, biblically, and are trying to stand against it, the pitfall is that you can become more of an expert in that than in the fact that your daughter's proud or your wife is prayerless or your son's looking at porn. I've done this. Everything that the guys who are my kind in this church, everything that you guys care about, I care about. But we have to be aware that this could be our undoing and our family's undoing. We have to be more of an expert in what's happening in our house than an expert in what's happening out there. Know what's happening out there. Stand against what's happening out there. The world needs fathers too, but you know who needs a, you know who you're called to be a father to more than the world? Your kids. All right. Lastly, in verses 32 through 38, at the end of chapter nine, what do these dads do? What do these fathers of the community do? 
They take responsibility. They take responsibility. Look at verse 33 and verse 38 in particular. Verse 33, yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and, what's the pronoun? We have acted wickedly. We are responsible, and look at verse 38, because of all this, we make a firm covenant. We are responsible, and now we're putting our names on the line. We're responsible for what happens here. To own what's gone on and to gladly and manfully take the weight of your people is the core of holy fatherhood. That's the heart of godly fatherhood. That's what God the Father did for us. It's what Jesus does for his church. Authority and responsibility are connected. You can never separate them. I don't want to zoom past that. Did you hear me? Authority and responsibility are connected and can never be separated, okay? A a father, a husband, must exercise godly authority. He must. But he will not have organic authority, the kind where the person under it is happy you're their leader, if he's a blame shifter or a finger pointer. Authority, organic authority, flows to those who take responsibility. That's not my line, that's somebody else's. None of us can expect households to delight in our authority if we blame shift or finger point. Let me give you two quick examples. I'm almost done here. I see that little red indicator that I've gone long. I'll give you two quick examples. I had a friend who grew up in a good Christian household that um, the dad is saved, I believe, going to heaven, but was a bit of a tyrant. Son um, left home, lives in rampant sin right now, and I don't think any of the kids really want anything to do with that. Now that he had control, he had authority in that household, and he used it. He took them to church on Sundays, they read Bible, they did everything. But the second they could be out from under it, I'm out. Peace. Flip side, 18 years ago or so, I was three blocks from here on Stratford. I had just gotten fired from a job because I was too hungover to show up for work. And what else? A tree had fallen on my car. I had lost my cell phone. It was like the worst day of my life. And back in the days of pay phones, I called one person who I had not talked to probably in months my dad, and I asked him to take me to church on Sunday. Nobody was up there in heaven saying, make sure you honor the fifth commandment right now. I wanted to call him. He was the person. Why? Because he had organic authority with me. I want that for all the dads in this room. And by the way, this is not self-pity. This is not sadomasochism. This is not, it's all my fault. Come on, more, more. I want more pain. This is not that kind of a thing. Look at verse 32. He pleads, they plead. They say, now therefore our God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not our hardship seem little to you. And then in verse 38, they make a firm covenant. These are men, okay? These are men. They plead with God and then they make a firm resolve. All right, I'm gonna end with this. One word to wives and kids and one word to all men. Wives and kids, honor your husbands, your fathers. I have been a part of 
In church planting and ministry, I've been a part of five Southern Baptist churches in the tri-state, and I've helped out with another one or two. And before all that, I was a youth pastor at a small non-denominational church. I have never been a part of a church where God is doing more in the lives of young men than this one. And in the midst of all that work and sanctifying that he's doing, you know the kinds of questions I got asked by guys at my last job, my secular job? Fantasy football questions, politics questions. You know the kind of questions you get asked here if you have any authority at all? If you're an older Christian guy, you know what kind of questions you get asked by other men? How do I stay pure? How do I pray for my wife better? How do I lead her better? This church is filled with men who are being sanctified. But the world hates them for it. That world out there hates that your husband wants to lead you. It hates that he loves his Bible. Hates him for it. Make his load a little lighter. Just make it a little lighter. Kids, honor your dads. I, I dare say as I look around, there's not a dad I know in here who wouldn't throw himself in front of a train for you. Honor your dads. This church is filled with godly men. Second, for all men, Jesus loves men. Read the Last Supper sometime. He's sitting with 12 men, one of whom is going to betray him. And he loves them. John has his head on Jesus' chest. He tells Peter, Satan has sought you, but I have prayed for you. In the worst moment of his earthly life, when he goes away to pray by himself, he brings three men with him. He's not worried about their toxic masculinity. He brings three men to pray with him. Jesus loves men. And Michael has said it this way, and it's very good. Fatherhood is the shape of male virtue. You may never have kids. If you want them, I pray you get them. But if you are a man, you can father people. And he will help you. He does not despise you. Your muscles are for something. Your resolve is for something. Your testosterone is for something. Your deep voice is for something. Every part of your manhood was designed, handcrafted by that Jesus for something. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, you didn't... You didn't have Father's Day be a part of the ancient Jewish calendar. But I believe it's the kind of thing you smile on. You are a father by choice. By your own goodwill, you chose to make a son out of soil. You chose to adopt us and give us a spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. You guide us and discipline us as a good father does. You're a papa, an Abba. There is no greater gift than that everyone who has believed in you gets to say that to you this day and every day unto eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. We are Christ the King Church. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctkcincy.com.